This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Happy 4th of July to you. How many ate too much? Come on, be honest. That's good. I think we killed everything this side of Nebraska and barbecued. It was a great time. Glad that you came out uh, this Sunday to spend time with us and uh, to be here at church. You know, we're in a series right now called Questions. And what we're attempting to do in this series together is to look at some of the tough questions that are being asked today and try to give some honest answers for you and I to consider. And you know, the reality is, is every single one of us, since we were born and were able to talk, we've been asking questions. And one of the reasons why we ask questions is to try to fill the voids that are in our lives regarding truth. And if we take a look at our lives and we take a look at all the questions even that we ask today, there's this, this longing inside of us to find stability or to find truth or security or hope and finding something that satisfies these voids that are within us. And the bottom line, that's why questions are asked. They're, they're asked due to our longing for truth. Every single one of us asks lots of questions. And so in this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give some honest answers to some very difficult, very tough questions that people are asking today. And so we're going to tackle different kinds of questions. For instance, last week we talked about, is God real? Hopefully uh, you were able to uh, see that message or hear that message. If not, you can go online and watch that. But we are, we are trying to help people understand that there is a way to prove that God is real, or at least put you on a journey to consider further pursuit of some truth to find out what the answer truly is. And then today we're going to be talking about, is the Bible true? Next week you're not going to want to miss it because we're going to talk about, why does God allow evil and suffering? So we're going to be talking about all different kinds of things, even about what happens to you when you die and what's the Bible really say about sex and what about church and money and what about all pathways? Do they all really lead to God? And so we're going to to take a stab at every single one of these questions and hopefully help everybody that's listening understand a little bit more about the answers to these questions. And we're doing it for two main reasons. Number one is we want people that are searching for truth to actually come to the place that they can have some answers for that truth. Jesus made a statement once. He said this, you can know the truth or you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, it's possible to know that there's actual truth. And when you find that truth, there's something that happens in you. There's a freedom. There's a stability. There is a promise found in truth. So we want to be able to bring some truth to those that are searching for truth. But secondly, we want to also help those that maybe have maybe found what they perceive to be truth or Christianity or the Bible or whatever it may be for you and try to help you to be able to proclaim truth when it's asked of you. Peter said this, he said, always be ready to give an account for the hope that lies within you. 
And so when you're asked a tough question, we should be able to respond to it. It should be so entrenched in our belief system that it's second nature to us because we're basing our entire eternal destiny on a set of beliefs. We better believe that it's true. Not just because mom said it or because some other person said it. We should be able to, to take a look at that and solidify it in our lives as truth. This morning, we're going to talk about another question. This is a tough one. This is probably one of the hardest questions that I've had to defend in a very practical way. And it's this question. Is the Bible true? And I want to ask every person that can hear my voice, regardless of your religious background, regardless of your belief system, those that would be listening online, wherever you're at, whatever you believe, I want you to pull it out of your brain and I want you to put it over here. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, I want you to become unsaved. If you're a Mormon today, just forget about Joseph Smith for a while. Or if you're a Muslim, let's just put aside the Quran or Allah. I want everybody to come to a neutral place. And what I would like to do is to present to you some, some options here. And I want you to look at the different sacred writings that are available to us today. Here's what's ironic about every one of these books. People that follow these different religions actually believe that their book is the truth. But they all can't be true because they all say something different. So which one is actually true? If we take Jesus, for example, and we go to these books, if I was to pull out the Book of Mormon this morning, they would say that Jesus isn't God, but he's one of many gods. He's actually the spirit brother of the devil. That's exactly what this teaches. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that's an option for you to believe. If we were to go to the New World Translation, which would be Jehovah's Witness Bible, and we take a look at this, what we would find is they actually believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel. And if I was to pull out the Quran and look at the Quran, which would be the book of Islam, we would find very uh, clearly that they don't believe that Jesus is God, but he is a great teacher and a great prophet. Then you pull out the Bible, and what you find is they say that Jesus is actually God, part of the Trinity. Now, one of those are true, or maybe none of them are. When we look at the book, when it comes to heaven, you read the Book of Mormon, and it'll tell you that you get to go to one of three levels of heaven, the celestial, the telestial, or the terrestrial, and based upon your works, you can make your way up to different levels of heaven. Ladies, you get to be goddesses to men where you get to populate your own planet. You get to be eternally pregnant. Guys, you get your own planet. Again, I'm not mocking. I'm just giving you some options today. When you read Christian science and all that they say, they say heaven and hell is a literal place, doesn't even exist. It's a frame of mind. If you pick up the book on Buddhism or Hinduism, you'll find that you're in an ever state of eternity. Right now, you're actually in eternity. You're just part of a recreation process. You used to maybe be a cow or a bug or someone else, but you're on a journey. The Bible says that you spend eternity with God in heaven. My point is this. 
Not every book can be true. Whatever you believe, you're basing your entire eternal destiny on that set of beliefs. You better know that it's true. Here's the good news. You can actually prove which one's true. There's actually a way to take a look at the different sacred writings that are available, and you can actually put them through an objective analytical test or tests to help you understand which one could actually be true. What's good about these tests is they're not religious in nature, so it's not just my perspective as a pastor, but it's using all different kinds or a variety of different tests And my recommendation for us today is let's put all of them through the same test. That would be fair, wouldn't it? And let's just say at the end of the day, whichever one comes out 100% infallible, 100% truth, maybe that's the book that we should consider following its ways. And so when you look at these different tests, and again, there'll be a variety that you could look at, but we call them objective analysis tests, if you will. There's things like manuscript accuracy, scientific accuracy, archaeological accuracy, historical accuracy, prophetic accuracy, law of compound probabilities. There's 14 of these different tests that you can put them through that science and history and archaeology and everything else helps us to prove whether what is written here is actually the truth. And so this morning, I I want to look at the question through these tests. Is the Bible true? And I want to start by, first of all, looking at longevity. When you, when you take a look at the Bible, first of all, understand this, and this is important from the very beginning of our journey this morning. The Bible actually isn't a book. It's a book of books. There's actually 66 different books that are in this Bible that are written by 40 different authors, 60 generations, over 1,600 years, three different languages, multiple continents, and a dozen or more cultures. And you take a look at the writings of different people. I mean, they were political leaders, and they were poets and musicians and shepherds and writers and rabbis and fishermen and tax collectors and political leaders. And you go down the list. Here are a bunch of people from all different walks of life, from all different countries and cultures and languages that put together these 66 books. And what's cool about them is they not only are in harmony with each other, but they are interdependent of each other, making the message of the Bible whole. There's no other book today that can proclaim that level of unity and that level of camaraderie in its writing other than the Bible. Imagine today, I just picked 40 of you out of the same church service, same culture, Portlanders. I pick you based upon your skin color, your hairdo. I mean, just pick 40 same people. And I said, hey, I want to send you into 40 different rooms, and I want you to write, independent of each other, a message or your thoughts on demonology, 
or your thoughts on angels, or your thoughts on the doctrines of God. I just pick one of the thousands. What would be the odds of all 40 of you coming back with exact papers that matched and were complementing of each other? Probably pretty slim. So when you think about the unity of the Bible, it's something that we should consider as a profound part of maybe why it might be true. But not only it's popular, excuse me, it's, it's unity, but also it's indestructibility. Critics over the year have tried to, to completely annihilate the Bible and what it represents. And you take a look over, over the, the history, over time. I mean, there's critics and modernists and liberalists and rationalists and atheists and humanists and scientists and communists and every other kind of ists that exists that tried to take out the Bible. And here's what we find out about the Bible is the more that they tried to, to destruct it or try to destroy it, the more that it exists. There was a guy back in 303 AD. His name was Emperor Diocletian. And he made it his mission to burn every Bible that existed. He killed so many Christians and burned so many Bibles that he proclaimed that he actually exterminated Christianity. He had some coins made up that he distributed throughout his region. On the coin, it read, the Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the gods restored. I love the fact that 10 years later, Constantine came into control, made Christianity the governing religion, and actually started printing Bibles at the government's expense. I think that's pretty cool. But you think about Voltaire, you know, the infamous French atheist. I mean, he went on to make, make this statement. In 100 years, the Bible will be an extinct book. 50 years after his death, they actually used his house and his printing house, excuse me, printing press to be the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society. Think about that, Dr. V. I mean, just come on. That's exciting to hear. And you could go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of how they've tried to take out the Bible, but it continues to move forward. And here's one of the biggest ways is its enduring popularity. When you take a look at the Bible, it remains the best-selling book of all times in human history. In fact, how many have ever heard of the New York bestsellers list? Anybody hear of that? Since the New York bestsellers list started, if they labeled the Bible in that list, it would be number one every week ever since its existence. The reason they don't put it in is because the Bible would be at the top every week, all year long, every year. Seven billion Bibles have been sold, not counting the billions that we've given out. Fifty, every, every minute, 50 Bibles are sold, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. The Gideons alone have distributed over two billion Bibles. They give out about uh, a million Bibles every single five days. And so you look at that and you begin to look at the popularity of the book. I mean, I don't see that kind of popularity with the, the Inquirer. I mean, GQ magazine. I mean, they're not doing numbers like that by any means. And so one of the things that we should stop and think about, okay, what other book 
in all of these books or any book that's ever been written, Shakespeare, whatever, how many could attest to those things when it comes to unity, when it comes to indestructibility, when it comes to enduring popularity? What you find in every case is the Bible reigns supreme in every one of those tests. But let's take it one step further. Let's talk about manuscript accuracy. And again, critics throughout the ages, what they've tried to say about manuscripts and about the Bible is that we don't have the original manuscripts. In other words, we don't have the ink that Paul used to pen Romans. Therefore, the Bible's hopelessly flawed. But when you begin to look at the manuscript evidence, forget just how they went about the criteria in order to transcribe it and to translate it, which is a conversation in itself, we find just for the New Testament, this part of the Bible, we have over 5,500 Greek manuscripts, over 10,000 Latin Vulgates, and 9,300 other earlier versions all put together. And here's the cool thing. When you put them all together, they all say the same thing. You go back and you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, and when they dug up the Dead Sea Scrolls that were divinely preserved in a cave for over 1,900 years, over 40,000 different statements and writings in the book of Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Leviticus and Psalms, and you begin to pull those out from 1,900 years prior and put them up against current manuscripts, and what you find is there's no variation. They say the same. Again, when I think about all the other writings, when I pull out the Book of Mormon, 1830, you go back and look at it, Google it. They made 3,913 changes, doctrinal changes from the 1830 version. It's like, whoops, that wasn't right. Whoops, missed that one. Whoops, better change that. 3,913 just in this one book alone. So you have to ask yourself the question again, what is true? Which one of these books would actually pass the manuscript accuracy test? Not many at all. The Bible will. Many others won't. But where I want to camp this morning, I I just want to talk about this one. This is probably one of the most exciting ones for me is, is prophetic accuracy or the fulfillment of prophecy. And again, we live in a time where a year doesn't go by where there isn't some kind of prediction about the future. I mean, we hear about people in the past throughout history, guys like Nostradamus or Edward Edward Casey, or uh, you think of Mother Shipton and all these people that are saying all these predictions about the future, or maybe you just turn on your radio and listen to talk radio, and ah, the government this, and the economy that, and the president this, and you know what they all have in common? They're all inaccurate. For you to have one inaccurate prophecy no longer makes you an infallible prophet. So just follow me for a second. When you look at the Bible, there are 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. To date, as of today, there is not one prophecy that has happened, as the Bible said, that has had any errors in it. They have all happened in perfect, exact, detailed order, batting a thousand percent. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, 
But when you begin to understand the odds of that even happening, it's amazing. I think about, for instance, one of the prophecies about the ancient city of Tyre. If you open up and you don't need to do that now, but read in Ezekiel 26 about something that was written hundreds of years before it happening about this bizarre destruction of this major city. And you read all the different things that were said. It's amazing to see that they actually happened in perfect detailed order. It said that the nations would rise against her. The city would be leveled and turned into barren rock. Fishermen would spread nets in the midst of her. Nebuchadnezzar at that time, which wasn't as much strength at that time, king of Babylon would capture her. The city would never be rebuilt again. All of those things that were said hundreds of years later actually happened in perfect detailed order. That's a miracle in itself. The same thing when you look at Babylon, this great city with Isaiah and Jeremiah and all that they said. Again, you study the books and you start looking at it. They're saying things hundreds of years before that happened in exact perfect detailed order. But here's where I want to park for a second because I think this is the most fascinating. I want to talk about messianic prophecies. When you go back and you look throughout the Old Testament, what you find is that there are 332 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, all of which have been fulfilled in perfect detailed order. Now, understand the magnitude of this happening. I just, I just want you to grasp this for a second. There's a mathematical term called the law of compound probabilities, which is a mathematical term that simply is the likeliness of multiple independent events occurring as they were stated. And let me give you an example right now. For instance, probably the, the most basic way to illustrate this is a coin. It has a heads and a tail. You guys follow me? What are the odds when I flip it that this is going to be heads? That's not a trick question. You can respond. How much? What's the odds? 50%. Thank you. Great. That's awesome. Give him a hand. I mean, that's awesome. Come on. That's good. Okay. Now, if I said that I'm going to flip this twice and get heads both times, what are the odds of me getting heads both times? It's 50% times 50% or 25%, right? Come on, you guys, IRA college dropout. So I got that, right? So every time that you add an independent equation to the culmination of all of them, the odds of that happening is greatly increased. If I said to you today, I'm going to meet a green-eyed girl. If one out of 10 girls have green eyes, the odds of me actually meeting a green-eyed girl, I've got to go meet 10 ladies, one out of 10. If I say I want to meet a green-eyed, red-haired girl, and if one out of 10 green-eyed ladies have red hair, it would take me 100 times to meet a green-eyed, red-haired girl. 10 times 10. 10 to the second power. If I said that I'm going to meet a green-eyed girl with red eyes that's pigeon-toed, and if one out of ten green-eyed, red-haired girls are pigeon-toed, I would have to meet a thousand ladies to meet that one. Ten times ten times ten, or ten 
to the third power. This isn't a religious equation. This is simple math called the law of compound probabilities. Now, Mark, why are you saying all that? Because I want to talk about Jesus' prophecies. The odds, forget being Jesus, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, whoever it might be, Buddha, what are the odds of anyone fulfilling eight prophecies in exact perfect detailed order? Well, it would be the number 10 to the 17th power, one with 17 zeros. The odds of someone actually fulfilling those in exact perfect detail order, in order to understand the magnitude of that number, you take the state of Texas and you fill it two feet deep with silver dollars. That's a lot of silver dollars. When you take a look at that, it is actually somewhere in the equation of about 23.7 billion cubic feet of silver. That's a lot of silver. And if you were to take a pen out and mark a little red dot on one of those and throw it out, and then I get one of you that don't know where it's at and put you in a helicopter, blindfold you, put a parachute on you, and send you over the vast plains of Texas... And you kind of just feeling your way and you're going, okay, I kind of feel like maybe it's here. Maybe two hours into it, you're kind of getting over Austin. You go, I think it's here. You jump out, blindfolded. The odds of you reaching down and picking up that silver dollar the first time, blindfolded, would be the odds of you fulfilling eight prophecies in exact perfect detail order. I was sharing that with a guy once and he said this. Well, that could happen. I said, you know, I said, well, you know, it could happen. So, so let's just dial it up one notch. Let's talk about 16 prophecies. What would be the odds of Jesus fulfilling six prophecies in exact perfect detail order? Well, that's 10 to the 45th power. How many like McDonald's? Don't, don't admit that. But we're going to take McDonald pickles. Now, if you were to stack just one line of pickles to the sun, that would be a 93 million mile stack of pickles. But we're not going to make just a stack. What we're going to actually do is we're going to make a ball 30 times further than the sun. So basically what you're looking at is a ball of pickles that's 2.7 billion mile ball of pickles. That's a lot of garlic. And if you were to just take a little bit of your ketchup out and squirt one of those little pickles, and then you get in your spaceship, and you get out and start circling around this 2.7 billion mile ball of pickles, which is actually 3,225 times larger than the sun, and you start circling it around in about 140 million miles. You go, okay, I want to drill down about 50 million miles and go over 2 million miles and down 367,222 miles and over 46 feet and 1 inch and 1 centimeter and ping, blindfolded. That'd be the odds of you fulfilling 16 prophecies in exact perfect detailed order. Ah, but it could happen. Okay, go. Okay, yeah, it could happen. So let's just take it one step further. 
What about Jesus fulfilling 48 prophecies in exact perfect detail order? Now, in order to even understand the magnitude of it, you've got to take silver dollars and pickles out of the equation because the universe couldn't even contain the amount of pickles in order to, to justify this number. So we got to go to something just a little bit smaller, something like um, maybe an electron. An electron is 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power quintillionth of an inch. There's more electrons in a grain of sand than all of the leaves on every tree on planet Earth. It's a pretty small thing. If you were going to count electrons in a linear inch, it would take you counting 250 a minute. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 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 however fast you do 250 in a minute. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Guess how long it would take you to count a linear inch? 19 million years. I mean, how many have done that? Usually three, four hands. Come on, right? So if you take, if you take just a cubic inch, 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years, you would actually have 6.85 octillion electrons. That's like higher than goober million or like wadillion. I mean, it's just 6.85 octillion electrons. Here's the kicker. Forget the cubic inch. It's counting all the electrons in the universe. The universe, as far as we can see, and again, it goes forever, but as far as our, our technology allows, is about 12 billion miles across. 12, excuse me, 12 billion light years across. Traveling at the speed of light, 186 miles, excuse me, 186,000 miles per second, you could travel 96 billion miles in one year you'd have to travel 96 billion miles times 12 billion light years filled with electrons. Mark one, pull it out, blindfolded, be the odds of you prophesying 48 in exact perfect detail. Here's the kicker, guys. Just, I know that's a lot of information. Some of you are going, oh my gosh, where's the Geritol, right? <laughs> Listen to me. Jesus fulfilled... 332. There's not even a math equation that can figure that out. Keep in mind, the Bible has 1,817 of them. There's not another writing anywhere on planet Earth that can attest to this one claim. If you even take it one step further and you start thinking about archaeology, and again, we could look at scientific accuracy and historic accuracy. We don't have time for that. But at least just stop and think about archaeology for a second. Here's the interesting thing that we find about archaeology. Every single archaeological dig has further validated, not discredited, the Bible. There's 25,000 plus known archaeological digs. And not one of them has contradicted the Bible. Although for years, they've tried to disprove the Bible based upon archaeology. Here, here's one example. 1900 BC, there was a group of people called the Hittites. It actually was one of the number one claims 
that modern day critics had against the Bible because there was not a known civilization ever found called the Hittites. However, at the beginning of the 20th century, they found this civilization northeast of a place called Ankara, Turkey, where they begin to unfold this entire city. When you started to look at their instruments and their weapons and everything else, it proved that the Hittites actually did exist exactly like the Bible said. Some of you may remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says that God destroyed the city with fire and brimstone. That Lot's wife that was in the city turned and hesitated. and She was turned into a pillar of salt. You go and you undig the archaeological findings of Sodom and Gomorrah. What you find is volcanic, sulfur, sulfuric gases, asphalt in large numbers that actually shows that that entire region was utterly destroyed by fire and brimstone. What makes it so unique are the large salt deposits found in these volcanic fields that would be very uncommon to find salt fields mixed with volcanic and sulfuric acid, uh, gases, which kind of gives credence to the idea that maybe salt, lot, his wife, fire brimstone, maybe it just does exist. 25,000 archaeological digs. You go to the Book of Mormon, where it talks about the battle of the Lephites and the Lamanites, and they go on this battle back in the northeast part of our country, this place called the Hill of Kumara. You dig up the dirt, what you find is cow dung. You go to Gettysburg, they said there was a battle there, and you open it up, and what you find in the dirt are bullets and artifacts and bones, and you go to Hill of Kumara, you find fertilizer. Maybe there's some credence to the fact that even archaeology helps us to prove the Bible to be 100% true. But let's just, let's just take it to one last level here with just the short time that we have. And let me talk about this one aspect called its transforming power. Because what makes this book so unique is not its claim to be accurate, or it's claimed to be a historical masterpiece or a book of poetry or good thoughts or ideas, it actually proclaims to be the living word of God. It actually proclaims that those that are willing to allow it to, that it would transform their life. And when you begin to take a look at the Bible and everything that's been said so far, and you begin to now apply it to people, there's testimonies of thousands of people that we respect their life entirely in every other aspect of their life as integrous, quality, character, wonderful people. Guys like George Washington, the first president of the United States, he said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God or the Bible. Boy, do we need to hear that now? You think of Abraham Lincoln, he says, I believe the Bible is the best gift God ever gave to man. Daniel Webster, the guy that wrote Webster's Dictionary, was responsible for a lot of our English vernacular. He goes on, he says this, there's no solid basis for civilization but in the word of God. 
thousands and thousands of people that we would respect say, you know what? I'm educated, I'm intellectual, I'm smart, done my homework, the book's true. But you take it one step further and you start thinking about the, the sacrifice of millions of people been hung upside down on crosses, dipped in pine sap, put before firing squads. Hebrews 11 even talks about, and then there were some that were even sawn in half. Can you think of another book anywhere in the history of humanity that millions are willing to die for? It's amazing. I don't see people lining up in front of the firing squad for the inquirer. That's true, I'm gonna die for that. Millions. But for me, if you push that all aside and you just look at this last one, it's the transformation of billions of people. You know, to me, the greatest evidence that the Bible is true is its transforming power in me. You can argue all day long about all the other books and whether Christ died on a stake or a cross or whether he's the spirit brother of the devil, but what you can't take away from me is how this book took a high school dropout drug addict and when I applied its principles to my life, it instantly transformed my life and set me free. And here's the key. It's not just me. Billions today would attest to the fact that their life, the drug addicts, the murderers, the prostitutes, the people where their marriage was falling apart and they were destitute and they decided to allow the Bible to shape their marriage and it was healed, the people that were sick that were recovered, you go through countless examples and what you find is it actually is what it says it is. You need hope? It's right here. You're desperate? All the answers are here. Peace? Joy? Security? Mark, where did I come from? It's right here. What's going to happen to me when I die? Well, it's, it's right here. How am I going to fix my marriage? It's right here. How am I going to deal with all the addictions, the suicidal tendencies, all the thoughts? God! And those that allow it to work in their lives are radically transformed. It alone should be one of the greatest testimonies that this book is truly what it says it is. Here's the kicker. This wasn't intended to be a book that you simply believe in. It was intended to be a book that you apply and allow it to be your entire guidance to your entire life. And here's the kicker right here, guys. 
the choice is yours. Every single one of us, even if you say, okay, I believe the Bible's true, if you don't apply it, it absolutely does you no good. None whatsoever. Let me ask you the question again. I know this room is filled with hundreds and hundreds of people, all different walks of life. We have people that are listening online. People will be listening by podcasts. People all over the world, different countries right now listening. Can I ask you, do you actually believe this to be true? My prayer is that this morning, even if you would say, I still don't know, I hope that you would at least pursue and think about reading a little bit more, put yourself on a pursuit to find out whether it's true or not. Because if it is, listen, listen, listen. If it is, you better do what it says because you're basing your entire destiny on a set of beliefs. You can become a Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Christian, you choose. Choice is yours. Can I ask you to just close your eyes for a moment? Just, just bow your head. and Please, no one leave. Just, just for the privacy and the respect of other people in the room right now. I love what one transformed man wrote. Notorious slave trader not only lived a horrific life, but brutally beat slaves for a long time until he read the book and was transformed. And his name was John Newton. He, he penned a song that goes something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. He came to a moment like many of you right now where he realized his life was hopeless without God. He was tired of the shame and the guilt. He was tired of the hopelessness and depression. And he thought, what else do I have to lose? And he turned his life over to God. And he was set free and transformed like billions of people have been. How about you this morning? If you're here this morning and you've never done that, you're saying, you know what? I'm tired of the shame and the guilt. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of living on my own. I need God in my life. I need him to show up. I need hope. I need help. I need assurance that when I die, I'm going to go spend eternity in heaven with him. He simply makes it so clear. He says, if you would just believe within your heart and confess with your mouth that I'm Lord, ask me into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. He says, I'll go ahead and make you new. But you just have to respond. And if that's you this morning, if you're here, and you'd like to do that, again, just in the privacy, every eye's closed, would you do me a favor? Just, just slip your hand up where I can see it. Say, Mark, you're talking to me today. Just bam, put it up right there. Thank you, quickly. Just put it up. Come on, boom. 
Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Just put it up, just so I can see it. Just put your hand up. Anyone else? Anywhere. Thank you over here. Thank you, thank you. That's where I can see your hands. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Come on, just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. You have nothing to lose, everything to gain. Thank you in the back, buddy. I see your hand. That's awesome. Thank you. You know what I'd like to do? I have some ushers, and they have some purple books and Bibles. And just as your hand's up again, we're just going to hand you something. We're not going to invade your world, but let us put something in your hand if you raise your hand. Just keep it up till the usher puts those in your hand. We'd love for you just to look at this. Here's a Bible. We're talking about the Bible being true. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love for you to take this purple card that's in this book, fill it out, give it to either myself up front, someone at the door, the cafe. But thank you for being so bold. Thank you for raising your hands. Church, would you, would you pray with me and every person that maybe this is your first time, would you pray along with me this prayer together? Come on, together, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the Word of God, for giving us clear instruction on how we can live our lives for you. Your Word says that I fall short of the glory of God and that Jesus came and died in my place so that I could have eternal life. And so today, I ask you into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior, to forgive me of all of my sins. And I thank you that I can spend eternity with you in the name of Jesus. Come on, would you put your hands together for Jesus this morning? Come on. It's awesome. Woo!